Man, this is an exciting time. I was just on Facebook real quick. I know it sounds like I'm a sinner, right? Um, and uh, I was just on Facebook checking out who was on and saying hi to some people. And, uh, and my brother is online right now. And uh, Dan is one of our board members here at Movement Church and his wife. They're watching from Hawaii. So I have no idea what time it is right now, but bring a little bit of that weather back to us, please. Um, but I, I saw something really cool that I thought was neat. I wanted to share it. Uh, on your post, your post didn't say that you were a top, a top watcher or anything like that. It said that you were a one-year anniversary watcher. And so how stinking cool is that? Like, I thought that was kind of cool. So I just wanted to share that. It's stupid, I know. But hey, um, it's cool, though. Like, it has been such a unique and different year for us. Um, we did some things that uh, when we started this church planning process that people said was not smart. Um, you know, planning in a pandemic. Like, hey, why don't you wait until this thing slows down a little bit? And we're like, no, like, we're ready to go now. Like, this is what Jesus has called us to. And uh, man, to think that this is a one-year church in the midst of a pandemic. And then, uh, and then all of a sudden we go from that to uh, we said, hey, we want to be able to minister to younger crowds, and we want to be able to do all these different things, go into a shopping center, um, re-look re at the way that we do church. We said that we wanted to be a church that was 70% online, 30% in person. And uh, even that mentality was a very hard one to kind of break through. But I'm happy to say that every single week on Facebook, we have over 130 to 150 people that watch us just on Facebook. Then we go from there, and we celebrate the amount of people that are watching YouTube videos afterwards and listening to our podcast and the uh, hundreds of hours that are watched through our podcast across the world. It is so exciting to see how God can move. And so here's what we're excited about. God has called up some pretty awesome people here. I think about Ethan Smith. Ethan is, uh, he was a student of mine he was a student of mine uh, at the last church that I was at, and, and I'll never forget bringing Ethan back, and I was just going to let him know what was getting ready to happen. I said, Ethan, like, I'm getting, ready to leave, I'm getting ready to leave High Street. Like, here's what's happening. And Ethan was like, man, like, that's something I need to be a part of. And without knowing all the ideas, without knowing everything that was going on, Ethan, a college student, stepped up and said, man, I'm going to be a part of that. And from day one, he was a part of what it was that we were doing here. He was a part of, of helping to determine the culture and, and how was it that it was going to look and how are we going to do things and, and technology stuff and all these different things. And he was our very first staff member here at, at Movement Church. We hired him on very early to, to do a lot of the things for us. And, and so we have him. We have Pastor Doug who, who goes uh, in retirement mode November 1st, retires of, of what, 2019, goes in, he retires, and then all of a sudden, uh, November 4th, he's coming out of retirement, planting a church with us. Uh, God called him to speak to me, to remind me that there was a mission on our hearts, and uh, man, they stepped out. He and Bobby stepped out in faith to pursue this with us, and uh, it wouldn't have happened without them. And then we have my wife who stepped out on a limb to say, man, our life is going to get shaken crazy amounts uh, to be able to plant a church and the uncertainties of what the future looks like. It wasn't an established church, so it's not a guarantee money. It's, it's not guaranteed salaries like other places and all these different things that God called us to. We think about Sarah, who showed up uh, right before we launched to say that she just wanted to come out and check out a church service, brings her kids out, kid loved it, and then she was forced to come back again. And uh, now look at her. She's leading worship here, and she's singing, and she's getting baptized today, and we celebrate that. 
I think about Pastor Jules, who straight out of college, like months out of college, gets a phone call from a crazy pastor in Ohio to say, hey, what do you think about Ohio? And she knew nothing about Ohio, except for we had like the best football team in America. Um, so God bless her for knowing that. Um, and uh, so, you know, we had talks, we, we had conversations. She flew out here, checked it out. And by the time she got back, landed uh, after a very long layover, um, <laughs> very long, long story, but gets back. She makes the phone call immediately. I am coming out to be a part of what it is that you're good, what, what it is you guys are doing. And then Sky coming out with her and, and person after person after person. I think of my buddy Jeff, who's behind the camera. He literally showed up for our very first baptism. I don't even know if he knew that it was baptism or not. Shows up to our very last pre-service launch. And here we are baptizing uh, in a similar tub and uh, not much of a stage, not much of anything really. And, and he very quickly grabbed the camera and put it back into place right where it needed to be. And that turned into him being our camera guy and training other people to be camera people. But what was so cool about that, it wasn't, it wasn't this camera thing. It was that he would sit back there and receive what the Lord had for him. And the way that God has transformed his life has been incredible. And it's been so fun to be able to be a part of that and see how God has moved. You see, when I look at Movement Church, I see God calling Noah's. I see God calling people that are going to go out and that are going to build something without a question, not knowing what's going to come next, not knowing what's going to happen next, but to know that there's a purpose and a reason for why he is calling us to do these things. I, I think of David, this little guy, David, who goes out and, and all of a sudden he is faced. He, all he does was go out and see his brothers and take them some food. And then all of a sudden he's faced against the giant and he slays the giant there's been some giants that we've had to slay here at Movement. There's been some times that we've looked at this and said, how are we going to go another week? What's going to happen? And all of a sudden, God steps up and massive things take place. Breakthroughs happen. Breakthroughs that people never thought would be possible. We had a baptism here that, that came out of nowhere, and, and it was one of the craziest baptisms that I've ever been a part of. And unfortunately, I can't share a whole lot with you about the backstory, but I'm going to tell you something. That day, a giant was slayed. That day, the impossible was possible. Somebody that never should have been inside of this tub was inside of this tub being baptized, and his life was changed forever. I think about the Marys that we have in here, those that, that come in here that, that have something thrown at them, and then all of a sudden they, they have to realize that, man, what does it look like to walk through faith? Jesus, Mary finds out that she's pregnant with Jesus, and, and it's crazy to think that this teenage mother is all of a sudden going to be faced with bringing the Savior of the universe in and to see how God has used us. I think of the Levi's. Those that, that are in here that, that people just really didn't like to be around because they were such jerks or because they, they just they did the things that Levi used to do and, and would just tear people apart. And the whole purpose of his life was to collect as much money as he possibly could. But then all of a sudden, this man finally comes up to Levi and calls him out and says, would you just simply follow me? And Levi dropped everything to follow Jesus at one time. His life was forever changed. He's now known as Matthew and wrote the book of Matthew and taught us so much of what we know now about Jesus and his life. I think of just a couple fishermen, some just random guys that, that just were there, just happened to be there. They weren't expecting their life to change. They weren't expecting all these things to happen, but they just showed up. And then all of a sudden Jesus said, hey, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. 
Man, I'm going I'm to show you how you can affect the world, how you can change the world. It's not about just coming inside of a church and being fed, but man, I'm going to show you how we can go out in this world and make a massive difference. I think about Peter. And here Peter is, this disciple of Jesus. And, and, and what does Peter do? He disowns Jesus at the time that Jesus needs him the most. Here Jesus is, he's down on his knees and, and he's, he's going through this court case and people are, are calling Peter out. Hey, aren't you a disciple of this man? No, I don't know who he is. And, and the third time that Peter denies him, you can almost see the anger in his voice and the frustration in his voice. I do not know this man. And at once scripture says the rooster crowed and he knew what he had done. But listen to me, that wasn't the end of Peter because what did Peter do? The day of Pentecost, he comes out, spits some mad fire, and man, people came to know the Lord in groves. 3,000 were baptized that day. So many things took place. That's Peter. Man, and then I think of today's story that we're going to talk about. I want you to hear this today, and I think this story needs to be heard by a lot of us today because you might be in this room today saying, my faults my mess-ups are so great that I would never be worthy. And we've shared time and time again how you are so worthy, but I want you to hear today the story of a man named Saul. This man named Saul was, was this guy that was just a terrible, terrible person. But he didn't know that he was. He didn't know the things that he was doing. He didn't know the things that he was calling to be done. And so there's this other guy named Stephen we're going to talk about momentarily. Stephen was a disciple of Jesus, but he was also the very first Christian martyr, which meant that he was killed for his faith. And so I want you to picture this with me for just a minute, okay? Stephen because he was a follower of Jesus, because he was sharing the gospel of Jesus, was arrested. And because of the life transformations that were taking place through his words, they decided that they could no longer have him available to other people. And so they decided that they were going to execute him. It doesn't say that at the trial, Saul was there, but there's a really good chance that Saul was a part of that because what we see next is when they bring him to execute Stephen, the way that they did it was through a stoning. And they brought him into the middle of this town square and put him in a stockade. And, uh, and, then, and then people would surround him. The citizens would surround him and they would stone him to death until he was, until he was dead. And, uh, but there's some things that we learn in this scripture that a lot of times we just kind of brush over. And Luke really points out even in a couple of his memoirs that he wrote, separate from what's been published in the Bible about this situation, is that you see some pretty cool things that, that shape up and show in this. And so I want you to picture this with me. You have Stephen in the middle. He's, he's stockaded up. And then you have hundreds of people surrounding him. And these people are desperate. They're chomping at the bit to, to throw a stone at this man because of the things that he's taught. He didn't murder anybody. He didn't steal from anybody just because of the things that he taught. And so they're waiting for it. But here's what happens. This is the picture that's painted. Saul is standing over here on the side. And these people that are around in this circle start taking their cloaks off, Scripture says. And they start taking their cloaks off. And they would bring them, and they were laying them at the feet of Saul, which tells me that they trusted who Saul was. They trusted who he was. They trusted his opinion. They trusted the things that he was doing. 
And so they would bring him and lay him at his feet. And the reason why I, I believe that they trusted him was as simple as this. Back then, cloaks were not cheap. In fact, you would usually get one once you reached adulthood, and they would keep the same one forever because they were so expensive to make. They were very heavy, and, uh, and they would use them as long as they possibly could until they completely worn out. And so they trusted him with this possession of theirs that they would have never given up to somebody. But here's, here's the kicker in the story. It never says that they took Stephen and stripped him of his cloak and of his clothes. Well, back then, the way that this would happen is they would strip you of your clothing because then you would have the greater impact of the stone. If you had your cloak on, you had protection, and so it could take longer. It would be worse. Well, we don't know for sure whether or not he did have that on, but I'm going to tell you this. Back then, the way that you knew who the guilty party was was by the removal of the cloak. Think about that for a minute. This group of people that came to stone him had no idea that they were putting themselves out there as the guilty party. They removed their cloak, which was not a part of their customs, to lay him at the feet of Saul, who would later be one of the biggest conversions ever in Christianity. They admitted their guilt that day. I'm going to tell you, I think a lot of times we're admitting our guilt without even realizing it. We know the things that we're doing are wrong. We know the choices that we're making are wrong, but yet we still decide that we want to move through with them because it's what everybody else does. It's what the crowd does. But what I love about the story of Saul is that he wasn't about the crowd, what we later find out. And so Saul not only was a part of this, but I want you to hear this. Saul was a pretty nasty man. He, uh, he had this anti-Christian zeal about him. Like it, it made him excited. He was happy to be able to go and persecute Christians. Like at any point, at any cost that he could, that's what Saul wanted to do. He wanted to find Christians and have them killed or have them imprisoned. He was going after Christians so much that he would try to find and, and he, would, he would imprison the male Christians because they were considered as the ringleaders then. And then he wouldn't stop there. If you were a female and claimed to be a Christian or claimed to follow Jesus, he would imprison you too. He didn't care what your life would look like. He didn't care if you had kids. He didn't care if you had a house. He wanted you put down because of the fact that you believe something that he so strongly did not believe. So the story starts that Saul was on his way to Damascus to arrest and to extradite Christians back to Jerusalem. He had this whole mission that this is what he was going to do. And man, I can just picture Saul. He was excited about it. He's like, I'm going to get all these Christians. Like, this is going to be a big day for me. We're going to get them. We're going to bring them back and we're going to celebrate. But man, God had some other things because Saul was confronted by the very one who he was persecuting. So I want you to hear this in Acts chapter 9 right now. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, and I love this because the way in scripture is capitalized, the way, the truth, and the life if they belong to Jesus, whether men or women, that he might take them as a prisoner and bring them back to Jerusalem. 
As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Listen to me. I want you to hear this today. Jesus did not speak to him and say, Saul, Saul, why did you persecute Stephen? Saul, Saul, why are you going after these other Christians? Saul, Saul, why are you doing this? He said, why are you persecuting me? Because those things against others are against Jesus. And I love his his response. Saul laying on the ground says, who are you, Lord? says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul, they stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. When Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he could not see a thing. So they led him by hand into Damascus for three days. Saul was blind and did not eat and did not drink a thing. That right there is the beginning of the largest transformation in Christian history. Because here he goes in here blind, not knowing what Jesus literally just did with him. Kind of like that song, I once was blind, but now I see. Very similar to that, Saul experienced physical blindness. And Jesus was working on his life because when when Saul finally saw again, his life was completely transformed. He went from being the one that was persecuting to the one that was persecuted. You see, Saul became Paul, and when he became Paul, massive things began to happen. He went out and he started planting churches. He started leading people to Christ. And not only did he go out to plant churches, but he went out to plant leaders, to plant pastors. And he went out and started revivals where people came to know the Lord and grows. This man that hated even the idea that Christianity could even exist, hated the entire fact of who Jesus was, all of a sudden decided that his entire life was transformed to who it was that Jesus was and the miracles that he worked in and through his life. So I'm going to tell you something today. If you are sitting here in this location, if you are online today, if you're listening on podcasts today, here is where it's at. I want you to know that your life is never so messed up, is never so screwed up that you are not worthy of what it is that Jesus can do. I love it because Jesus literally died for each and every one of us. And Saul that day knew that. Just as Owen said that this past weekend in our, in our bedroom, that Jesus died for me, Mom. Jesus died for me. Yeah, he did. And he died for Sky, and he died for Ethan, and he died for Sierra. He died for Janelle, for JP. He died for each and every one of us so that we could be free, just as Paul was. You see, we're not called to come into this space and be a social club. We're called to come into the space to be fed, so that we can go out and feed. And that's what we've been doing as a church. This next year, we're going to continue to push that. We're going to continue to share that, how it looks, because Paul, that saw nothing but law and nothing but hate and 
and all this different stuff that came with, with what he thought Jesus was, started to realize how great that his love truly was, that he would die for him and for you and for me. I want you to know that you are worthy of what it is that Jesus is doing. I want you to know that you're worthy of his love. I want you to hear this, that Paul writes a letter to, to Rome, and, and Paul is a citizen of Rome, but had never been there at this point. And he even says in his letter that he hopes at some point he gets to come out and meet him. But he sends the church of Rome a, a letter, and he says this in his letter, for all sin, and we all fall short of the glory of God. So don't ever feel that you're worthless, that, that you're not worthy enough of it because you commit some sin. Look at what Jesus did for Peter. Peter disowned Jesus at the moment he needed him the most, and then Jesus used Peter to preach one of the most impactful messages that this world has ever heard. How incredible is it to think the way that our Lord works and our Lord calls? I want to challenge you today. If you're in this place, if you're online and you don't have that relationship with Jesus, it's as simple as a couple different things, like my son was talking through us about the other day. You got to ask for forgiveness. What I love about that, when you ask for that forgiveness, it happens. He doesn't hold it over your head. That day of judgment isn't going to happen, and all those things that you ask for forgiveness for, he's going to bring back up. Remember, remember, hey, remember these things? Like, you asked me for forgiveness for these, but now you're, you're here in judgment day, so we're going to talk about these. Like, no, no, they're gone. They're gone. Repentance. It's an about face. It's to walk away from it. And when you walk away from that, he walks away from that. He's not going to hang it over your head. We're guilty of hanging it over our own heads all the time, but he's not going to hang it over your head. So you, you repent. And then you accept the fact that you know that Jesus is Lord of all. He is the Lord of your life. And you're going you're to hear just in a moment some baptism videos where they declare that Jesus is the Lord of my life. He is my Savior. He saved me from the things that I was going through. He saved me from the destiny of hell that I had to, to have an eternity in heaven with him. How incredible is that? That he takes you from this place of a, an eternity in hell and, and, and all this nastiness to this eternity in heaven with him to be in pure delight of who it is that created the heavens and the earth and the universe and you and me. Paul preached every moment that he had a chance to. This week in Revival, I'm so stinking excited about it. If you are not decided to come out yet, you better be here because it is something that you do not want to miss. I promise you that. But check this out. We're going to be in the book of Colossians. And that's a book that Paul wrote. And what I love about that is as simple as this. Paul writes this book. He, he, he writes this letter out to the church of Colossae. And, and when he gets out there and tells them about the things that are going on, I want you to know this. He, he writes them as he's imprisoned. He's in chains. Paul, because of the things that he did, got him in prison multiple times. Got him persecuted for the way that he was living his life, for the churches he was planting. But you know what he did when he was still in shackles, when he was in chains? He proclaimed the name of Jesus every single chance that he had. He wrote letters out to churches. He, he talked to pastors that he, he raised up. He talked to leaders that he raised up. Chains could not tie him down. And he continued to plant church after church after church. I believe that breakthroughs are still taking place. I believe that we're going to continue to see breakthroughs take place. I believe that there's people in this room, like I said, and people online that believe that they can't have that relationship with Jesus. But I'm telling you this today. It is for each and every 
one of us. No matter where you're at, even if you're in a place that you've disowned them, Jesus is going to use you. Even if you're in a place that, that you don't know what you're going to do next, Jesus has a plan for you. Even if you're in a place right now where you're being obedient and you're building something, but you don't know why you're building it for, Jesus is going to use you. Time and time again, he uses us. And I believe it to be true that he has a plan for each and every one of us in this room. Jesus, I thank you so much. I thank you for the breakthroughs that are taking place, for the life uh, transformations that are taking place, Father, for the baptisms that we're going to about to celebrate, Father. I pray for Connor today. I pray for Janelle, for Cheney, for Sarah, for Owen. Father, as they proclaim today their love for you, their need for you, their eagerness to hear from you, Father. We celebrate with them. We know that we can't take this lightly, that this is a call to all of us to step up, for all of us to walk through this together, because we know more than ever the devil's going to come after them because he wants nothing more than to retain their lives. But the devil has no hold on them. Hell has no hold on them because their lives are secure in Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that you use us in huge ways today to be there for them, to love them, to celebrate them, to care for them. But, Father, we celebrate the one today, the one who in first service service accepted Christ into their life, to know you on a more intimate level. We know that there are others today, right now, across the world that are accepting you. Father, I pray that as a church, as a global church, Father, that we step up and we're your hands, that we're your feet. We don't drop this. We have this opportunity, Jesus. I pray that we take it. We love you so much. In your name I pray, amen.